0: welcome to episode two of turning the goldfields green. In this episode I will speak to Bill Grant about the impact composting has on global warming and why it is important to keep organic matter out of landfill. Then I speak to Karen who has been trialing plastic-free compostable doggy-doo bags and Lucy Young shares her research and thinking around the dog poo dilemma. Later in the program, I'm rejoined by Bill Grant, and our conversation turns to waste in general, and I have to say, I was shocked and disappointed about the story so far of recycling in Victoria. But first, I would like to acknowledge that this radio program and podcast have been created on the land of the Dja Wurrung people, and sovereignty was never ceded for this land. They have been caretakers of this land for millennia, and I would like to pay respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. So, it's been over a month since the fires started burning in New South Wales, with the rest of the country soon following. It has been over two weeks of pretty consistent smoke haze in the air here in central Victoria. Every day our emergency apps are warning us of hazardous air quality. Last Tuesday, Melbourne's air quality was ranked the worst in the world, for a city I'm assuming, because those on the fire front will obviously be facing worse air quality again. Shops have been running out of smoke filtering masks, and events and public outdoor areas are being closed or cancelled. The elderly very young and those with existing breathing conditions like asthma are being warned to be very careful, and ambulance call-outs are higher than usual. In the last week since episode 1, we have had a cool change in rain which would normally clear the air, but there is still thick haze. NASA has been tracking the smoke from satellites and the smoke has crossed the Pacific and is affecting air quality in South America now. It is expected to travel right around the globe and land back here in amongst the new smoke being generated by the fires as they continue to burn. In this community, I've seen multiple fundraising efforts and events with people giving generously. There has been a lot of discussion online and around kitchen tables. Many, many people are joining the dots between these fires and the ongoing drought and the ever-increasing average temperatures across our already hot and dry continent and the climate emergency. And in a way, this is good. We need more and more people to recognize that when we talk about climate change, it's not just hypothetical, this is what it means. This week I've also read encouraging news about major financial institutions finally recognising that climate change is a risk to their investments and they have a responsibility to stop investing in industries like coal that will jeopardise the rest of their portfolio by, you know, creating a climate that is unstable and unlivable. I've also heard about a movement in the architectural world where architects are publicly committing to running their businesses as carbon neutral or zero net emissions, and to also using 100% renewable energy, to which over 300 architects across Australia have signed up, with others able to join at a later date. A push to gain momentum in any field is brilliant, but all businesses and households can do the same. You can commit to green power and consider ways to offset the carbon you are emitting via vehicles and other petrol-powered items in your life like lawnmowers and whippersnippers. It is a complicated equation and I would like to explore it further in future episodes. I have not yet found a good app that helps you calculate your carbon footprint. If anyone listening knows of one or of other services or websites or ways to calculate your carbon footprint, and then offset them, please contact me at saltgrasspodcast at gmail.com. Salt. Salt. Salt of the earth. Salt. 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 Grassroot. Grass. 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 grass, grass grassroot, 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 grassroot. Salt of the earth people. Grassroots change. Saltgrass. Listen to all episodes of Turning the Goldfields Green on saltgrass.podbean.com so today's topic is compost it is listed in the book drawdown as one of the top 100 ways to reduce emissions and draw carbon out of the atmosphere and in the book it is ranked number 60 so it could save 2.28 gigatons of co2 and that That is based on the fact that if we compost, instead of sending it to landfill, we then avoid the methane produced if it goes to landfill. So that leads me to my first interview today with Bill Grant. I'm speaking with Bill Grant, who is a committee member at MASG and has a professional life in waste management systems. Bill, what exactly is your work?
1: I do a lot of work around getting organics out of landfill, so working with local government, with businesses, and finding ways of getting organics out, and turned usually into compost, and some into bioenergy.
0: What's the name of your business?
1: Blue Environment is a company.
0: And is that your business?
1: I co owner. So I've got two business partners and we've got about five staff at present and yeah, we we work in waste management. But I specialise in the organic side of things.
0: In the the Midland Express this week, I saw a little article about how Macedon Rangers is offering a certain number of residents, I don't think it's 100%, but they're doing a trial run and offering little kitchen buckets for compost collection and then a lime-lidded wheelie bin that people can put on the curbside for collection. I believe you were involved in this.
1: Yeah, so um, Macedon Rangers had a garden waste collection service for years and they've got most residents use that. They, they gave bins out to pretty much anyone. And now they're rolling out, and they have done a trial, and now they're rolling out the food organic service too. So they're giving people, as you say, the little kitchen caddy and some compostable plastic liners. And they're one of quite a few councils around Victoria now that are offering this service. And some of the councils that have brought this in have reduced food to landfill by about uh, 80%. And they've reduced the total amount of waste going to landfill through garbage by 50%, so a pretty good outcome.
0: So why is it so important to keep organic matter out of landfill?
1: Well in landfill, organic matter breaks down anaerobically without oxygen and produces methane which is a really potent greenhouse gas. So as a rule of thumb, if your landfill hasn't got any gas capture, for every tonne of food you get about two tonnes equivalent of carbon dioxide coming off in the form of methane, and for garden waste it's um, a little over a tonne of CO2. So, you know, every kilo, pretty much every kilo of food you throw out, you're producing a, a kilo of uh, CO2 or, or more.
0: And so why does that not happen if you have a home compost unit? Why, why is there a difference there?
1: If you do it properly, if you do it aerobically with oxygen, the bacteria convert the material into just carbon dioxide. And because it's plant matter, the plant, when it grows sucked in, carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere so when it releases that carbon dioxide it's not considered to be a human caused greenhouse gas it's just part of the natural carbon cycle but if you get it wrong and you produce methane then you've altered the carbon cycle the natural carbon cycle and you've contributed to the greenhouse effect.
0: There you go why is it so good for councils to support people by taking away their compost because I know I mean I can imagine a lot of people aren't physically able to run a compost heap or don't have the land for it
1: i've I've worked in the waste area for coming up thirty years now, and in all that time, the amount of food waste in household garbage, when people go and do the horrible job of sorting through household waste to see, fifty percent of it tends to be food. About thirty percent of the population claim that they do home composting, but there's still fifty percent of the the total garbage is food waste. The other thing is people home composting quite often, Some councils went through a phase of giving people compost bins, but they really, if you just threw food into them, you ended up with a big sludge pile. It wasn't really composting properly. So, look, the idea is compost well at home, but these services make it convenient for a lot of people who can't compost, only compost some of their food waste or only compost some of their garden waste to get rid of all of it. And they go to facilities that have really high levels of control and they produce a really good compost which then gets used in mainly agriculture, but also into soil blends and home gardens.
0: Do you see the Mount Alexander Shire taking up uh, a system like this anytime soon?
1: Uh, look, I, I'd love to see it. I, I think for those who want to do it, there is a voluntary, there's two private operators offering um, garden organic services. I don't know how they'd feel about you putting food scraps in, into their stuff. But really, the food's the important stuff to get out of landfills, so I'd love to see council do it. A lot of councils in Victoria have done it. Pretty much all of the north-eastern region councils have done it. Bendigo has done it. What, Masson Rangers is doing it? Melton's doing it. Bass Coast, there's lots of councils that are, that are doing it. So I think it's just a matter of time.
0: In terms of composting at home, I guess uh, some of the best practices are to actually just use all the food in your fridge, not yeah. not have a lot of stuff that goes bad in the bottom. Yeah. And
1: in terms of environmental outcomes, reducing food waste is huge. You know, you're talking some of the food products, particularly meat products and dairy products. The production of the food has a much bigger carbon footprint and other environmental footprint than if it goes to to landfill. So, you know, reducing food waste is huge and some figures anywhere between about 20 and 30% of food purchased in Australia is wasted, which just staggers me. There are some good tactics that people can use to reduce food waste. The one we've really found that works well is to have a weekly menu. So we look in the fridge on Sunday or whatever day we're going to go shopping and say what's about to go off, work that out and then work out what else to buy to sort of fit round that. And that generally works really well. The other side, I guess, is home composting. If you can do it well, you know, Castlemaine's not renowned for its soil quality. You know, it's really basically free soil if you do it properly. So the the key there, and lots of there are different theories of compost, but really um, you need to mix your food waste up with some sort of woodier material. If you just rake up leaves around here, generally that works pretty well, and just keep the pile aerobic, so keep it turned, keep it aerated, and make sure it's not too wet or not too dry. There's a sort of Goldilocks element to to making a compost.
0: So maybe turn it a bit more in winter so it's aerating a bit more and drying out and water it in summer?
1: Yeah, water it and always turning it, I mean it settles down but yeah obviously at this time of year it's a challenge to keep it it wet and ideally to make sure it's getting hot and that really tells you that the compost is working. You can do slow composts that take you know a year or more Mm -hmm. but the, the heat in it tells you that things are really working properly.
0: So in terms of building one, if someone recommended to me just getting a couple of bales of hay as the sides of the compost heap and then using the hay every time you put some compost, like my bucket from the kitchen yeah. on top, grab a bit of the hay from one of the walls yeah. and put it on top and that's your sort of dry woody matter that you were talking about.
1: Yeah, that sounds good. So I, Generally, we have chickens, so we've got a bit of hay and straw involved there, so we rake that up and add to it. Mm. Uh, But if it's ever getting to the point where it's getting gluggy, just rake up some dry material and throw it in. And during the months where there is green material around, cut a bit of green material and throw that in as well. I mean, the perfect compost is, you know, one part food, one part sort of straw dry dry material and one part green vegetation. And that sort of gives you a really good starter for, for composting. When you say
0: green vegetation, like grass clippings or prunings off, yeah. off your trees.
1: Yeah, that's that sort of material.
0: Are there resources people can look into? Do you know as easy instructions on composting that are online? or?
1: I'm not sure they're still there. Sustainability Victoria used to have some good material. There are waste and resource recovery groups around Victoria. You could check their websites.
0: It's similar to looking up a recipe online. There's going to be like 10 different variations of the same recipe, but you can just Google search how to compost and you'll find a lot of advice there. I know one thing that people sort of have do's and don'ts around is putting citrus and meat and things like that in it. Some, some people do, some people don't. I think it depends on the type of compost.
1: Yeah, look, if you get a, a big layer of orange peels or something, it will get pretty rank. Um, but it's more citrus and onion peel, and meat is more not suited to worm farms. But a home compost, if you're turning it and keeping it aerobic, and you know you don't end up with a, a disgusting layer of orange peel or whatever, no, it, it all breaks down. Mm. We have chickens for a lot of the material, but then we compost the rest. And really, citrus, the chickens don't eat the citrus peel, but um, it, it's not an issue in compost. Yeah.
0: And rats and mice is another consideration people are worried about.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it's almost a given, unfortunately, and and around here, you know, rats and mice often equal snakes as well. So um, you know, you can celebrate the biodiversity, or you can um, look at some of there are secure, fully enclosed composting systems around you can use if if that is a concern, but. You know, as I say, we've got chickens and we've got compost, so mm. mice and rats, unfortunately, are part of that.
0: I think in terms of the closed compost ones, you can get those ones that tumble, so they're suspended in the air, and obviously rats and mice wouldn't be able to get to that. And there's also the big sort of dome, big black ones that have a lid on the top. That would be pretty hard for mice to get into, wouldn't
1: it? Um, you'd have to put a bit of wire under them around here or they'll burrow under it. There are fully enclosed. They're like giant eskies. I've forgotten them. The brand name of them now but they're not they're not cheap they're a good fully enclosed system and the tumble systems work pretty well except for at this time of year I find they you they become a desiccating unit pretty much yeah. which still you know converts the the organics into something you can dig into your garden but you have to work pretty hard to keep the moisture up to them at this time of year yeah.
0: so in the drawdown book composting is rated as number 60 on the list of things that are going to be most effective at drawing carbon out of the atmosphere or preventing it from going in there in the first place?
1: I feel that that's probably about right in terms of a number 60 ranking. I think that the real key is the diversion from landfill. The the methane from landfill is huge. Um, You get some uh, greenhouse gases from the composting process. You get a little bit of methane and a little bit of nitrous oxide. But then you also get a form of carbon that's quite stable when you put it into the soil. So it's a soil conditioner, it can have nutrients, it can act as a fertilizer. And just by improving nutrient cycling in the soil, you can reduce the synthetic chemicals going into fertilizers. So particularly some of the synthetic nitrogen fertilizers, which are incredibly greenhouse intensive in production and in releasing nitrous oxide. So, yeah, it, composting, I, I'm, as I say, my, my main interest is in the, the compost science and the soil science of things. It's just I can only get paid for the waste side of it.
2: We are compost makers. We make compost well. We know how to make it so it will not stink or smell.
3: If you pay
2: attention, you can make it too. Listen to our good advice and you'll know what to do. Take food scraps from the kitchen to a suitable outside spot and mix them up with old lawn clippings and tea leaves from the tea bar, apple gauze, fallen leaves and next door's old dead cat. Some cow dung, chook poo, horse manure and Uncle Headley's hat. Microorganisms in the soil they do all the decomposing work and all the toil so add a couple of layers of good garden earth and all those micro beasts will multiply for all their are worth in your food scraps from the kitchen in a suitable outside spot Mix them up with old lawn clippings and tea leaves From the teapot, apple cores, fallen leaves and next door's old dead cat Some cow dung, chook poo, horse manure and Uncle Headley's hat Compost should be airy, damp but not too dry So water it a little bit and turn it from time to time Don't let it get soggy, or it will puke and pong. If it's on the bugle boys, you know you've done it wrong. So save your kitchen food scraps, don't put them in the bin. Develop a sense of humus with your next of kin. Learn to work together, follow nature's way. From the kitchen to a suitable outside spot, and mix 'em up with old lawn clippings and tea leaves. From the tea bar. apple cores, fallen leaves, and next door's old dead cat. Some cow dung, chook poo, horse manure, and Uncle Edley's
1: hat.
0: That song was called Compost Maker's Work Song, and it's by Faye White who is a local musician here in Castlemaine. She wrote that song over 20 years ago and it is still so very relevant and good advice on compost making. The uh, CD it's come from is Singing Land Care and they're actually a whole CD of songs really aimed at children but very relevant for adults as well, I think. And not a bad way to learn how to make a compost. If you or anyone you know make music about nature, the climate, environmental issues, or any relevant topic, please think about sending in a sample for us to play on the show. We'd love to feature local musicians. We'll be happy to put links to your website or relevant avenues for people to hear more of your stuff. And we will, of course, credit you in the show. Contact us at saltgrasspodcast at gmail.com. The music at the start of the show and that is playing now is by a local ecologist who dabbles in music and who goes by the name of Ningawi. Turning the Goldfields Green is a Saltgrass production. It is hosted and produced by me, Alison Hanley, in partnership with the Mount Alexander Sustainability Group, MASG and Main I'm with Karen and uh, she has a beautiful black dog called Harry. And I'll often see her on the golf course walking our dogs together or we go for a walk somewhere else. And she has started using bio bags to pick up the doggy doo because, as you may know, putting dog poo in a plastic bag actually creates a problem in terms of the dog poo decomposing inside the bag. It creates anaerobic. If you just put it in landfill, it's actually quite bad for the environment. It's better to compost it somehow if you have a little unit at home. That's a really good option. It's not great to put it in your human compost that you're then going to handle and put on your garden. It needs a bit longer to decompose to be safe as a biohazard. So if you have a separate little compost bucket out in the garden for the dog poo, the worms will come and take it and make it nice. (laughs) But in the meantime, you need a bag to pick it up with that potentially can go in your compost heap so Karen has found one do you want to tell us about it
4: yes I've been looking for compostable or at least bags that will break down and be sustainable and there was a lot of bags at some of the pet shops they said "Oh, these break down bags that were biodegradable but they just seemed like normal plastic bags and they didn't when I got them home and I looked at the packaging I couldn't see anything that said that they were actually biodegradable.
0: So there is a difference between degradable and biodegradable. Degradable just means it'll break down into lots of little parts which if it's made of plastic means like you know how old plastic bags just get really brittle and turn into powder after a couple of years that's degrading but it's still plastic turning into microplastics in our environment so biodegradable is a better word than just degradable and
4: uh, but these ones are even better yes well these ones are compostable so you can compost them A lot of people have started to do that. I haven't set up a special doggy compost area, but it's something I want to do. Yes, I think in the long term that's the way to go because I've got friends who do do that, who who take the bags home full of the dog poo and put them in a special doggy compost bin and they've got worms and, yeah, over time... you're getting good compost from dog poo. Yeah, that's basically the reason that I get these bags and I find that this particular lot. There's also been a problem with some bags that that they say they're biodegradable and they're so thin they almost start falling to bits which is the same as some of the rubbish bags that you can get, like the bin bags and bin liners. And they're so thin that by the time if you've left your, your rubbish in for a week or something and you pull it out, they just about fall to bits. These bags seem to be tough enough to contain your poo, which is what you want, but at the same time, not be dangerous to the environment. So what's the brand that you're using? So this is called Biobag. It's made from cornstarch. It's certified, it's got a whole lot of certifications on it. And it's it's made in Norway, made in the EU. So unfortunately, it's got travel miles associated, but I haven't seen a similar product of a similar quality that's made in Australia where did you get them? I got them at Goes. Because
0: you really don't want your doggy do bag to break and create a mess even while you're picking it up because <laughs> exactly. it's warm and heavy and moist so you need the bag to be able to cope with all of that.
4: Yes yes and the fact is that you've got to have bags um, you know to take your dog To most public areas, you have to carry bags. The council puts out bags, but as far as I know, they're not sustainable. They're just plastic. And, yeah, putting your doggy do's in plastic
0: makes no sense. Especially when there's good alternatives. And leaving it in the environment is not great because people step in it, children play with it, other dogs eat it. (laughs) and also it can wash into our water systems if it rains and that creates a certain like once you get enough dogs walking along a creek and all pooing and no one picking up the poo you get a certain amount of nutrient runoff into the creeks and streams and that affects the environment so it is good to pick up the dog poo but it's better to pick up the dog poo in some kind of compostable dog waste bag and deal with it in your yard if
4: possible yes absolutely and yes and there are uh, there are health issues about having dog poo just lying around that can create all sorts of problems so we need to pick up our, after our dogs we need to make sure that you know too much faeces isn't going into the water table and we need to make sure that we're not just adding to the you know plastic mass that's circulating around the globe
0: lots of good reasons thanks karen that was karen milgram dog owner and responsible dog poo picker upper after that conversation i thought i should probably talk to someone who knows a little bit more about it than the two of us who have good intentions but maybe haven't done the full research required and that person is Lucy Young who works for the Hub Foundation and has been working uh, under the guise of Plastic Bag Free Castle, Maine for several years now. Alright, so I'm speaking with Lucy Young who has had many roles in this town but most recently with Plastic Free Castle, Maine, via the Hub Foundation. Uh, Lucy, I know you put out a flyer a while ago now about how to dispose of dog poo safely uh, or safely for the environment is the focus. Can you tell us a little bit about what your research led you to?
3: Yeah, so I think the fly you're referring to is one about doggy do's and doggy don'ts. So essentially what that was getting to was thinking about the impact of particularly using single-use plastic bags for disposing of dog poo. And I guess, you know, when we thought about it, we thought about the, very much in the context of behaviour change, because actually people putting their dog poo in plastic bags has been a big behaviour change, um, facilitated by the council, people believe they're doing the right thing, it's making life more pleasant for people, yet it has an impact further down the line. That is that. Actually, what we're doing is we're using plastic bags one-off, which we know, actually I've picked up several myself in the, you know, just on the ground, not used in the botanic gardens. So we know, we've heard a lot about the impact of plastic bags that get into the guts of wildlife and if they get into our streams, even though we're a long way from the ocean, most creeks lead to the ocean, so on and so forth. But what we're actually doing when we're putting dog poo in single-use plastic bags is we're using plastic bag once and then we're putting dog poo into landfill, which is not generally what we want to do. We know that uh, organic waste in landfill leads to increased um, methane production and that's one of the biggest polluters. So, And I guess the answer that we came to being organic matter is the idea of compost and so yeah there are a number of products around that are compostable bags. Again I guess our emphasis or our interest is in moving away from any single use items. Uh, I think it was actually boomerang bags in Dalesford that came up with a great list of all of the other uh, non-single use things like you know, paper bags or our bread bags or all of the other sorts of plastic that we just happen to have lying around that you know we can use instead of the single use brand new bag. But if we want to compost, then it's great having compostable bags, but they're absolutely no benefit unless you're going to compost. At the moment, there is no council facility to pick up and compost dog poo in compostable bags so unless the household is willing to do it themselves and you are able to do that it has all the other problems of um, composting some people are good at it and some people aren't it needs to get up to a certain temperature to actually break down the cornstarch bags so there's a lot of considerations um, when thinking about what to do. I guess our main interest is in people transitioning from thinking that just using the bag to put the dog poo in is an easy solution and that the problem will go away to slowing down and imagining what the impact of that action is. I'd like to say that there was a one solution fits all I don't think there is. (laughs) I've seen online
0: um, dog poo composting units that you can get for your garden and you can buy them online and it's basically a miniature compost heap and you you sort of dig it in a bit so that worms can access it all and it's just this one spot and you can just keep loading the dog poo in and I think that's more useful when the dog's pooing in your garden because then you just lift it up with a shovel and then put it in so you're not using any products at all but when you're on a walk you still need to pick it up somehow. And some councils, I'm not sure if our council is very vigilant, but I know some councils are very vigilant and have certain citizens who are very against dog poo. I've seen it down on the coast. People spray paint the poo to emphasise that it's been left on the path. <laughs> and it's like this outrage for them. Um, so different people have very strong attitudes about dog poo one way or another. But um yeah putting it in a plastic bag or any bag at all and then sending it to landfill so putting it in the bin is actually not the best solution is what you're saying is compost is the best solution one way or another
3: yeah I think so and I think that you know I I often talk about and think about you know that in many ways we need to actually deal with our own shit including our dog shit Um, when I grew up in the backyard, you know, you would go around, one of my jobs was going around with a shovel and we'd put it in a corner and it would get buried in the corner and it was dealt with. I, I think that there's no argument that our lives as citizens are better when there's not, not dog poo all over the pavement. I don't want to deal, I don't want to be walking in other people's shit or in other people's dog shit. But I think the idea that we need to have this hygienic plastic bag that we just pick up and we use once, and then we, we throw in the bin so that the problem is externalised, it goes somewhere else, which of course, ultimately, every action we take affects us in the end. But, um, you know, there's many, I've, heard, I've read a blog, um, I can't remember who it was, of a woman who takes a jar And she just scoops it up with that, and then she takes it home and she empties it into the garden, and then she washes the jar and puts it back in her bag. She's dealing with her shit. Yeah, of course, any, any, uh, you know, not all dog poo is in a neat little bundle.
0: (laughs) This is very true.
3: Yes, so I don't actually have a dog. I don't know how you deal with dog diarrhea. I don't even know if we want to talk about that.
2: <laughs>
3: um, yeah, I guess, you know, maybe some paper towels could be useful right there. But <laughs> I think we've deviated somewhat from yeah. the topic now. <laughs>
0: I find with dog diarrhea, if I can't pick it up with whatever I've got on hand in terms of the bags that I've got, um, I just leave it. <laughs> I'm not going near that.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, I think that there's... You know, some people who've thought long and hard about it, you know, do carry a, um, a small shovel and they will just relocate it to under a tree, which they consider to be a more ethical thing to do. Obviously, we don't want our botanic garden, all the trees, you know, dug up underneath or uh, the, the rose garden dug up.
0: <laughs> What's one of the best solutions you've seen that may not be feasible right now in our town, but could happen in the future?
3: Ah, well, that's my favourite part of the mural by Trace Bella, the mural of Living lightly for a Safe Climate that the Hub Foundation commissioned. And, yeah, it's the idea of a street lamp powered by a doggy-doo digester. The technology's there, so, you know, your cornstarch bag will digest. Again, it's not it's single-use so we want to move away from that you know an old mushroom bag that's been used 54 times and it's on its 55th time because that's how many times you need to use a paper bag to make it worthwhile producing Mm. but yeah the idea that you can use the heat and the enzymes and whatever other chemical reactions are happening to um, produce enough heat to produce light I just love that idea of that, yeah, the Doggy Doo digester street lamp. That's my favourite idea for what we do with Doggy Doo.
0: I love it too. It sounds great. Okay, thanks, Lucy. So there you go. Compost your dog poo. Do the right thing. Don't put it in the bin. Next up, this is the second half of my conversation with Bill Grant. After we talked about composting, the conversation took a different turn and we started to talk
1: about recycling uh, my original uh, qualification is in agricultural science so i sort of accidentally got into waste so coming back to organics diversion organics recovery I've sort of linked the two so I've by specializing in compost I do work helping people work out how to get organics out of landfill and into composting but I also do work with compost and and Looking at soil management and soil carbon management, and I, I guess in terms of what keeps me interested in waste, because it is a pretty boring, boring area of work, I've got to say, is the the organic side of things. Uh, I'm um, a compost geek, well and truly, and a soil carbon geek. So it's that side of thing that keeps me really interested. But then I've got, I guess, knowing that every ton I keep help keep out of landfill is reducing greenhouse impacts keeps you motivated.
0: What sort of businesses do you work with or do you work with individual households?
1: No, a lot of our work in the organic space is with local government. So people like and Rangers wanted to look at bringing in the food service. We work with other councils that have no organic service and want to bring that in. So we look at well, what can you expect in terms of how many households will participate, how much waste will they divert, how much will it cost you to do... to provide the collection service, how much will it cost you to take it to a processor, what will the greenhouse benefits be. So we, I guess we help a lot of local government make the case to their councillors and their communities that this is worth doing. Our business also does a lot of work around waste data. So we uh, for the last five years or so, produced the, the National Waste Report, which really pulls together all the available data about waste and how it's managed in Australia and tracks how we're, we're performing.
0: So that includes all waste, so recycling and plastics and yep. organic matter. Everything, yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about the situation? I think a lot of people are still confused about whether our recycling is actually being recycled right now. <laughs> Do you know the answer to that?
1: I would think most of it still is. It's still cheaper to recycle into landfill in Victoria for most materials. The big complication at present is glass the, the Victorian market for glass hasn't been great for a long time, but it's particularly terrible at present. And glass in curbside recycling breaks and it contaminates paper and it contaminates plastic. And China and other markets are saying, we're not going to take your paper and your plastic if it's contaminated. And one of the sticking points is glass. So Macedon Rangers, again, are leading the way, um, they've brought in a, a fourth bin for glass. They're rolling that out right now and also drop points for glass and telling people keep glass separate to the recycling. Ballarat's going the same way, and a lot of other councils are looking at it. The state government's about to release a big circular economy policy, which will really, hopefully, set a a good pathway for resource recovery and waste management over the next decade or so. And a lot of people are sitting back and waiting to, to see what's proposed there. But it's likely to have a lot more investment on getting cleaner recyclables, a lot more requirements for businesses to use recycled materials and potentially, I'm hoping, a requirement that most local government will have to provide the the food and garden organics collection services. I think over the next five years we'll see a step up from where we are. And Victorians have been pretty good at recycling. Then a couple of operators got into the market who were just exporting dirty material to other countries, low labour cost countries, and that's where we've come a cropper really.
0: Are there facilities in Australia to handle all of our recycling or is it stockpiling somewhere because China's not taking it?
1: Um, Not so much stockpiling. What's happened is the material that was getting sorted over in those other countries is getting sorted more thoroughly here. Victoria has been a bit of a black spot in terms of we had SKM, who were the, the company that really got into the market of buying recyclables from councils. Previously, councils had paid to take recyclables. To, to a sorting facility, SKM started paying councils for that, sending it to low labour cost countries and countries that obviously didn't have good pollution control and people just pulled out what had a market, dumped or burnt the rest and they, they're the countries that have said, look, we're not taking that anymore.
0: That's so interesting because here, us who live in our houses in Victoria put our things very like you know, conscientiously in the recycle bin believing that it will be handled and all every tin will be made into another tin and the glass will be made into glass and, you know, the paper will be reused. And yeah. to hear that it hasn't been for a long time is actually feels like we've been lied to.
1: Yeah, look, I, I think we've all been a little bit culpable too in terms of just assuming that these recyclers were doing the right thing at the other end with their recycling. As I say, the, the councils were getting paid for the material um, state government's recycling targets were looking really good everyone felt pretty good about it uh, we knew things like e-waste, a lot of the electric, electrical waste that's very regulated about in terms of where it can go because of the pollution consequences but we didn't keep our eye on the ball in terms of mainly the plastics in our recycling and the fact that there's a lot of plastic there that technically is recyclable but wasn't getting recycled or was getting dumped or burnt And, you know, showing up in the ocean right through Asia.
0: That's just so terrible (laughs) to my mind. Yeah, okay. When China stopped taking our stuff, I hadn't even realised it was going that far away from us for a start. It makes our recycling have a lot of miles attached to it. I immediately felt like it was probably a great idea. And thank you, China, for taking that step because it will make us take care of it in our own backyard and, and do it in a way that we will be accountable for. I didn't realise how bad the situation was in some of those places. So are there plans afoot for bigger recycling plants and processes happening in Australia?
1: Yeah, and that's what's happening now. And Busy Industries, back in the 80s and 90s, developed world-leading technology. It's now used all around the world. But they, too, got into this idea of exporting it. And part of it is, because so many of our manufactured goods are made elsewhere... The markets for the recyclers, the the paper, the cardboard, the plastics, the glass, is elsewhere. Mm. And that's why they got into this model of rather than making cardboard boxes in Victoria at high cost and sending them to China for use, they just sent the paper. But they didn't just send paper, and I'm not naming Busy here, The other recyclers, they sent bales that had paper, they had plastics, they had all sorts of horrible things in them. The paper got recycled, but the plastic didn't, and the plastic got dumped. So what's happening now is a lot of the recycling technologies that we stopped using are getting used again and there is a lot of investment. The other thing that Victoria is really dragging the chain on is we don't have container deposit legislation. So every other state has now got it. They either brought it in or are bringing it in. And Victorian recycling markets suffering because there's cleaner material coming out of New South Wales and South Australia to our Recycle it. people who want recycled material to use in Victoria are taking it from those states because it's cheaper than Victorian. So Victoria's needs to catch up, basically.
0: So that's the old scheme of uh, put a tin can in the thing and get five cents, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, five or ten cents or whatever. And there is there's national policies being developed, but also the state policy will have a lot more requirement in terms of using recycled content or producing packaging that is either recyclable or compostable. The packaging industry has basically agreed to a thing that all packaging, by 2025 all packaging will be either recyclable or compostable, and then have fairly tight requirements to prove that it's recycled, Mm -hmm. because in the past the plastic industry for years had a methodology that only measured um, local production of plastic. But then they counted everything that was recycled, okay. and when and when they first brought that in, most of the plastic packaging in Australia was made in Australia. But then that shifted, yeah. so they were claiming that they were getting fifty percent recycling rate, and we redid the figures, and it was under twenty percent. Mm. They weren't happy. But there you go. There
0: you go. Uh, I know. Also, sometimes when you buy recycled paper, like office paper, um, it's it's just the offcuts from their normal manufacturing chucked back in there.
1: That, that's pretty common for a lot of and I mean, you know, it is in a way recycled, but it's really, yeah, almost deception. Yeah. yeah.
0: So there you go. Her recycling has not been being recycled, which is very disappointing. It's interesting that obviously... People knew about this but weren't really saying anything about it. And it's also interesting to me that state governments were happy, or that local governments, sorry, were happy to accept money for something that they used to have to pay for and they didn't question how that could be possible. Anyway, I'm glad to hear that it's being worked on and I'm really glad that China shoved it all back at us so that we have to deal with it because now we will. And... I think the, because the degrees of separation between us getting rid of it and us also processing it means that it can't be hidden how it's actually happening at the other end, which can only be a good thing, honestly. These things will obviously take a little bit of time, but uh, it seems like a lot of places are working very hard to create better systems, so fingers crossed. We now have, on a totally different topic, an item – for recycling that has got nothing to do with compost or organic waste, but can still be recycled effectively. And that is exciting because I never would have thought of it. How the frick are you supposed to recycle that? If you have a stinky worn-out pair of sneakers in the cupboard, don't throw them out. You didn't think they could be recycled, did you? But they can. Take them to a sports goods store and ask about the SOS you heard. It's Save Our Souls, S-O-L-E-S. The Australian Sporting Goods Foundation is piloting a program in Victoria with hopes for the rest of Australia very soon. What I like about it is that it is the first national industry-led product stewardship program, as they themselves describe it, that is, those who make and sell the product are then taking responsibility for it once it's at the end of its useful life. This is a concept I'd love to see across all sectors. Imagine if car manufacturers had to take back the car at the end of its life and then deal with it, or toy manufacturers. The Australian Sporting Goods Association is aiming to collect at least 100 tonnes of pre-used sports shoe material for repurposing. So if you're interested in this, find out more and which stores are participating at the Australian Sports Good Association's website, which is asga.com.au S-O-S. If you are interested in any of the books, articles, or websites mentioned in the show, you can find links to them in the episode description at saltgrass.podbean.com. This program was made possible with support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au. It should be noted that the statements and opinions of myself and the people I interview are not the official positions held by either Main FM or the Mount Alexander Sustainability Group. We welcome feedback and responses to the ideas expressed on the show. If you would like to respond to something discussed on the program, please email us at saltgrasspodcast at gmail.com. Please be aware that if you do email us, we may read your email on the show and we may identify you by first name. If you do not want this, please say so in your email. change saltgrass listen to all episodes of turning the goldfields green on saltgrass.podbean.com